in Acts chapter 6, we're going to look at a few verses here and talk through this thought of seven things that your deacons need to be. Seven things that your deacons need to be. This is a charge to you as a church, but it's also to the deacons that we are ordaining. And I want to let you see this. In Acts chapter 6, it says that uh, there was a problem in the church. In verse 1, says that there was a lot of people that were coming, but uh, there arose a murmuring among the Greeks and against the Hebrews. One way of looking at it is there might have been a race problem here, Greeks versus Jews, but one way or the other, there's some problems in the church. And I want you to know that the first thing that your deacons need to be is problem solvers. That's why, I mean, this is the first instance we understand that these were the first deacons chosen in the church. And they come about because there's a problem in the church. The Greek widows were not being served the way that they uh, needed to be served. And we could argue it was on purpose. Maybe they were doing it right, doing it wrong. Don't matter. It was a problem. They weren't getting served. And he says the, the reason was because they were getting neglected in the daily administration. And so in verse 2, you see that the 12, they were the, 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 the people that were overseeing the, the pastors of the church. Here is the first Baptist Jerusalem. Uh, they were the pastors there, and it says the twelve called the multitude of the disciples, so all the believers come together, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The, point, the pastor's response to this problem was, We need some help. We need some help here. Now, I want to make sure you understand that they decided, and, they, and I think they were right, obviously, they were right in doing this, to say, this is not pastoral work. I want you to understand something. The pastors are to preach and to teach and to disciple and care for the souls of the congregation. There's a lot of ways to do that, to be fair, but that's the focus of the pastor. It's not that, in this case, serving these widows was beneath the pastors. That was not the case at all. It's simply a matter of a division of labor. It, it can't be everything. They're, they're, they're limited men. They have 24 hours in a day just like everybody else has, and they can only do so many things. So he says there in verse 3, the pastor said, Okay, brothers, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and of wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And I want you all to know as a church, you want your pastors to do the main thing that they've been called to do. If you want to know what that looks like, go to Titus. Chapters 1 and 2 and read that in some detail. That's what you want your pastors to do. You want your pastors to be focused on that work. And then you want your deacons to be doing what these guys were doing, dealing with the problems in the church. Exactly what they were doing. They were dealing with those. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear. They're not mafia bosses dealing with problems in the church. That's not what we're talking about. That we're not talking about you know, breaking, the, breaking knees and, and, and that sort of thing. That's not what deacons are even supposed to do. Instead, what they do, and we didn't just talk about it on the stage here, but they are about protecting and promoting the unity of the church. They are about enabling the pastoral ministry to do the pastoral ministry. They are about looking out among the people and finding the, the widows who are not being served and finding a way to make sure they're served. That's what the deacons are supposed to be about. So they're problem solving. Second of all, second of all, deacons are supporters of the pastors. In verses 2 to 4, we've read some of that there, but I want to go down to verse 4 and see this verse we didn't pick up. It says, 
we, the pastors, are talking here because we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the work. In other words, the pastors saw the problem in verse 2, and they saw that this problem was actually getting in the way of doing the work that they were called to do. And they said, let's get these deacons to figure this out and figure and get this, make this happen. Make sure you understand there's sort of a mutual respect that's going on here. On the one hand, you've got the pastors who are saying, we got to do what we need to do, we need these deacons. But you also have the, and we're going to let the deacons figure it out and do it the way they think is best. Because I'm not seeing Peter and the rest of James and these guys going in there and telling me deacons how to do it. I'm not seeing that. Maybe y'all can see it, but I don't. On the other hand, there's also respect in which the deacons are saying, okay, we want to make sure you guys are able to do pastors. You guys can do what you need to do. So we're going to take care of this problem and others, as we understand, and others that come up in the, in the work. So God has given different people different roles in the church, and that there's this mutual respect in which the deacons are enabling the pastors to do the work they're called to. Number three, deacons are qualified by God. I want you to look with me in verse three. He says there, the pastors say, Look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom they will appoint over the scriptures. He's not just saying, Go find some good fellows. He's not going and saying, Go find some willing people. He's not saying, Go find the people that you think can get the job done. He's saying, I want you to go find godly men, godly people, because they're full of the Holy Ghost. That are honest report. Now we understand First Timothy three expands on this with some more detailed qualifications, but the, the point still remains. This is not a job simply because you are a good person, a smart person, an able person, a willing person. This is a job that's being called on to do because you are someone who is qualified by God Himself. Not listed among those qualifications, let me make clear to you, is being a pastor or a teacher. There's no requirement for a deacon to be a teacher or a pastor. That means someone be a teacher or a pastor and be a deacon. Of course, that's possible, but I'm saying that's not a requirement. That is not a requirement. The qualifications of the deacon, I do not find anywhere in Scripture that the deacon's job is to keep the pastor in check or to keep him humble. Say amen or oh me. I do not find anywhere in the, in the Bible that the deacon's qualification are to be informants to let people know what, quote, some people say. I don't see the, anywhere in the Bible that the deacon's job is to run the church or that they can have the ability to fix things. Oh, he's a good plumber or he's a good uh, uh, carpenter, so he'll be good. But that's not deacon qualifications. Nor is it business savvy. Oh, he, he runs a business, so he's going to be good. Or he's able to plan things out. That would be a really good person for that. These are not qualifications for the deacon, the deaconship. Deacons are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't you understand this? They're servants of the Lord. Why does that matter? Because who's their boss? A pastor, by the way. Jesus is the boss on this thing. He makes the rules for what kind of servants he wants. And he laid it out in First Timothy chapter 3. And I think he gives an indication here in Acts 6. He makes the rules. And he also equips those people for the work. So it works both ways. If he's the boss and he can do anything he wants to, I don't think we need to tell him how to make his teachers be what they're supposed to be. We say, these are people, 
that love the Lord, and the Lord will make them what they need to be. We need they need to be. It's more important that they be faithful, Christ-honoring, praying men than it is people who, again, have some kind of secular qualifications. And again, nothing wrong with that. You got a great education, or you maybe, or whatever. Those, those are awesome things. But that is not the qualification. The qualification is that we honor Christ. So that's third. God, their deacons are qualified by God. Number four, deacons are selected by the church. You see this in verse three, where the pastors are not the ones who are selecting. What do they say? You people go find seven men that are of honest support. Uh, I think in our tradition, the way we do it is basically the deacons among themselves are identifying the, the successors. And I think that's, that's a, a fair and appropriate way to do it. Especially as the church gets larger, it might be a little difficult to start, especially in, in pragmatic, to start nominating people from the floor and stuff like that. We understand. But nonetheless, what it is, it's not somebody from on high, a pastor, or even some kind of uh, uh, denominational structure saying, these are your deacons. No, it's the people themselves. Because I want you to see this in verse, um, in, in verse 4, or rather verse 3, it says that these people are full of the Holy Ghost. And then in verse 5, he talks about Stephen is full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and the assumption is the rest of these men are. But all that is to simply say to you that you, if you're a Christian, if Jesus is your Savior, you have the Holy Ghost too. Now, I'm telling you that because I think sometimes, whether it's misguided or we just get a little down on ourselves, we think, well, we need somebody that's smarter and more spiritual than us to make some of these decisions. I, I'll tell you, there's a lot of reasons that I'm a Baptist, and one of them is what this idea of congregational uh, participation. I really appreciate that about Baptists because I believe that you all, you may not be a pastor, you may never have been ordained a deacon, but First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3 tells me you're going to be judging angels one day. And if you can judge angels one day, I think we can take care of a few matters here on this earth. That's what Paul's point is in that passage. So make sure you hear this. It's the, the church is selecting those deacons. So you're the one who makes these decisions. That's why we vote on it here. But also, don't take that lightly. This is something that you're supposed to be doing, not because you feel good or you like this person, but because this is the direction from the Lord. And you can get that direction. But you've got to talk to the Lord about it. And we move on to number five, the fifth thing that your deacons need to be, and that needs to be not only are you selecting them, but you must approve them. That's what we're doing in part here. We're kind of closing out something that's already been started. I had a business meeting a couple, uh, several weeks ago. The, the church that was present voted to say, yes, these men, well, two of these men, one of them was voted on about a year ago, uh, but nonetheless, these men, we want them to be our deacons. That's what you voted on. You've approved that. But also, if you look at me in verse 6, you see what happens there. They said that in verse 5, the seven men they choose. In verse 6, it says, they set them before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them. We're about to do exactly this, because this is a very biblical thing. We want to follow the Bible directions on this, and we're going to do exactly this. They were selected by the church. They were prayed over. And there's this concept of laying of hands. It's laying of hands which uh, certainly has a physical component to it, but it is really this idea that we are approving of them, that we are identifying these are our people. These are our people. 
I'm telling you this because I think we, we, we under-appreciate uh, the seriousness of what we're about to do. We're actually saying these are people that we believe that God wants to serve this church. And y'all are consenting to it. <laughs> I hope I'm not stirring the hornet's nest because I think these men are fine and wonderful and exactly what this church needs. But you need to be prepared to say, yes, I agree. You need to be on board with that because these are your deacons now. These are your deacons. And number six, I want you to see this in verse seven. This often gets overlooked in this idea of the deacons uh, ordination here. It says there in verse seven that the word of God was increased and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly and a company of priests were obedient to the faith. That verse is not just simply put there out of nowhere. It is absolutely connected to the six verses prior to that. Because of all of that proceeding, there was a problem. The pastor saw that the deacons were the answer to the problem. The church identified seven or seven men, and the church ordained those men, prayed over them, laid hands on them. They did all of that. Because of that, the word of God was preached. Remember what the pastors are focused on? Preaching and praying. That's what they're focused on. That got to be done. People got saved, including religious Jewish people got saved. These priests, they got saved. And people grew in their walk with the Lord. This is the kind of stuff that happens when the church is the church. I think too many times we get off on these little side notions of what we're supposed to be doing, but if we actually do what we're supposed to be doing, by the way, can I just go ahead and poke, a, poke the bear a little bit? The church business is not committee meetings or business meetings. That's not the business of the church. The fighting and the squabbling that we do is not the business of the church. Those things may happen. And in fact, business meetings, committee meetings might even be helpful. But they are only helpful if they help us do the necessary work of the church. The real business of this church, of Ellisboro Baptist Church, is the business of souls. That's the business of this church, is to see people saved, transformed, and worshiping Jesus Christ. It's not to build a more beautiful building as much as this is a beautiful place. It's not to ordain or orchestrate more interesting uh, programs and all this. That's not the point. The point is to see people saved. And I want you to understand this. The deacons are not a necessary evil, regardless of the Wake Forest demon deacon uh, mascot. They are not a necessary evil. They are an absolute God-ordained part of the process. This church needs pastors. This church needs deacons. This church must have those things. The last thing I want to say, the number seven thing, and it's really kind of assumed in everything that's brought up here, but I want to call it out very specifically. Number seven, your deacons are to be examples to you as the church. The word deacon ultimately just means, if you go to the Greek word there, it ultimately means servant or serving. You know, whether you're using a noun or a verb, it's just the idea of serving. And in one sense of it, every Christian is to deacon, if I can use it that way as a verb. Jesus gives us the example in John 13. He washes his disciples' feet. He serves his, his disciples. Jesus said in Matthew 23 that the greatest in the kingdom of God is nothing more than a servant. 
In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, we serve each other in love. That's how we do this. So therefore, qualified deacons are deacons men who show us the epitome of what Christianity looks like. They show us what it looks like. It's Jesus' upside-down world. I don't know of anywhere else in the, in the world where the height of, 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 of success is being a servant. But in Jesus' world, serving people, helping people, humbling yourself to meet people's needs, that's what being a Christian looks like. Now, I want you to understand something. God is still inserting your board for the day. There's your chance to be a deacon. You don't know what I'm talking about? You need to go get your book and get that little piece of paper. It's got, you put your name and your phone number, and you circle some of these things you think you can do, and maybe if they don't have your thing on there, you'll write it out. But that's what being a deacon looks like. You may say, well, well I want to run the place. I just told you, I knew what a deacon does. I want to, I want to make sure that, that the money goes where I want it to go. Well, that's not what a deacon does. This is what a deacon does. You have an opportunity. In fact, I want to encourage you. This is my version of an altar call and a deacon's ordination service. You get that little piece of paper out. Go ahead and fill it out. Circulate. We're about to pass up a, pass a plate for a special offering. You drop that in there, and it'll be pulled out. You make sure you do that, and you show how you're ready to be a deacon. But I'm telling you that because these men, the ones we're ordaining today, are going to be the best deacons when they show us what walking as a Christian looks like. Not just as how to officially run a meeting. And Chad did a great job on his first time as a, uh, as a deacon chair on that uh, Wednesday night not too long ago. He did a great job. Efficient meeting. That's awesome. Edward, he ran several efficient meetings, but that's not the epitome of, of a deacon. The high point of a deacon is not putting forward good ideas or implementing ideas but showing us every day what a good Christian is supposed to be like. So ultimately, Christian, are you be examples to the church? I'm encouraging you men to do that. And church, follow your deacons as they follow Christ. That's what we are to do. That's what we are to do.